0: Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, Pastor Randy invites Adult Ministries Director Patrick
1: Moran to the pulpit.
0: i worn them in the desert. I've marched thousands of miles with hundreds of pounds of stuff on my back. Anybody want to come smell these? Right? Probably not. My feet were not beautiful After wearing these boots. But God, through Isaiah, says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Turn in your Bible now to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Now that's where Trey Desjardins, one of our Grace New Hope residents, is reading. And then he prays over Patrick.
1: uh, The reading of his word. Um, Today we're going to be in Isaiah 52, uh, verses 7 through 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. You may be seated. Thank you for who you are. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, that you came and you redeemed and you saved.
0: Um,
1: God, thank you so much for uh, saving this servant, Patrick. I pray that you would, um, yeah, that he would decrease and you would increase in this moment. And um, yeah, just that he would stay true to your word, um, that you would lead him by your spirit um, to teach what you have for this congregation, for this people sitting here today.
0: Um, we love you, Lord, and we praise you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Trey. Wow. So thank you all for showing up this morning. I know it's the day after Christmas, um, but I don't think we should miss an opportunity to join together on the Lord's Day, right? Uh, the Sunday, the day that we celebrate his rising from the dead. We, say, we celebrate that every week. Um, and so thank you for being here this morning. A couple of quick announcements before we get started um, Jammies and Joy, I I think some people are celebrating Jammies and Joy today, and I'm glad that you guys are. Um, But Jammies and Joy is also going to be next Sunday, January 2nd, Um, and next Sunday we're only having a 10:30 service as well, just like this week. Only a 10:30 service next Sunday. We'll be starting our uh, Luke series. We'll be going through the book of Luke as a congregation. So I guess you could say it's a continuation from Christmas, right? We're moving on. I think Randy might be in Luke 4. Uh, Next week. Um, But yeah, so just mark that on your calendars. We're starting with Luke. We're going to be learning the Nicene Creed as a church, and we're going to be reading through the book of Luke together, memorizing scripture, doing devotionals, all the good things that congregations should be engaged in with each other. Uh, But to start this morning, because we have kids in here, I'd like to involve them in the service, and I also need some engagement uh, from you, the congregation. So to start this morning, um, I need four volunteers who are kids. Under 18, please. Under 18. Yes. Weaver. Yeah, come on. on. Yeah, absolutely. Hannah, you're gonna, oh, and Alec. Oh, beautiful. I have four. That's all I needed right now was four. Okay, I'm gonna give each of you one of these, but don't show the congregation, okay? Don't show the congregation. All right, I'm gonna have the help of the congregation though, okay? And you guys are gonna help me out as well. And my lovely wife is gonna help us out. So what, what are the four weeks called leading up to Christmas? Advent season, right? What's the first week of Advent? What's it called? What do we celebrate on the first week? Faith. Faith, right? <laughs> faith, all right, who's got faith? Turn around, show them, we have faith. Okay, now what do you think faith is? Trusting. that She got it on the first try. She got it on the first try. Yeah, faith essentially means trust in God. And we saw that in week one with the faith of Zechariah praying in the temple, even though God hadn't spoken for 400 years, yet the, the faithful priest, Zechariah, was praying. We see the faith of Elizabeth and Mary to trust the word of the Lord that came to them. What's the second week of Advent? Hope, exactly. Who's got hope? Turn it around. We got hope. Now, what do you think hope is? Hope is like to be confident in yourself. It's like they're reading my notes. (laughs) Hope, (laughs) that's a great answer. Confidence, yeah. So this was from like the Lexham Bible Dictionary. It said, hope is the confidence that God's faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness, both in the present and in the future. And this is like kind of, we see this in Matthew 121. Um, when the angel is speaking to Joseph and he says, she, speaking of Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's a great statement of hope that this will happen. God's goodness will be seen in the future. And Jesus's very name means God is salvation. His name is hope. God is salvation. He's the Emmanuel, the God with us. This should bring hope that God is among his people. Now what's Week three. Joy, thank you, Marissa Morris. You get an A today, Marissa, thank you. Yeah, who's got joy? Show them. Now, what do you think joy is? This is a hard one.
1: Um, happiness to the people around
0: you. Happiness to the people around you, absolutely. Thank you, Illy, absolutely. Joy is closely related to gladness and happiness, although joy is more of a state of being than an emotion, and it's a result of choice. You can choose to be joyful, and you can act in joy. It's called rejoicing. In Luke chapter 2, we see the angel appearing to the shepherds in the field and says, "'Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord.'" And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But not only the shepherds rejoiced in that moment, the angels did as well. We see that in the verses following. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels got it right. In their rejoicing, glory to God in the highest. And what's the last week of the Advent season? Marissa. <laughs> peace. Exactly. Who's got peace? Alex, show them peace. Now, what do you think peace is? Uh,
1: it's like the opposite of, of like fighting and aggression.
0: Absolutely. It's the opposite of fighting and aggression It is the lack of hostility. This is peace. There's two types of peace. There's a lack of hostility, which is peace between people, no fighting, and peace between man and God. The Bible tells us that while we were sinners, we were enemies with God, but yet he saved us. So we were fighting against God, but he saved us. And now that he has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, we are now living in peace, no hostility with God. Peace also means a total well-being and security associated with God's presence among his people. He's the Emmanuel. He is the Prince of Peace, and he comes to dwell with us. We see the peace of Mary having trusted God when she said, let it be to me according to your word. There was no hostility in her soul. She said, I trust you. Let it be to me according to your word. And we see the peace that the angels sing about in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is what we just got done celebrating, faith, hope, joy, and peace. We all give it up for my, for my kids here, for my demonstrators. Thank you guys, you can take those with you. You guys are good, thank you. You can keep it. Just write your notes on it or something. So now that we've been given this faith, we've been given this hope, we've been given this joy, we've been given this peace, what do we do now? We just celebrated Christmas yesterday, We just celebrated the birth of the savior, but but what do we do? This isn't the end, right? This is the beginning. Just like when you're saved, that's not the end of your spiritual journey. It's the absolute beginning of your spiritual journey. What do we do with what we've been given? We give it away. We live by our faith in Jesus. We tell people of the hope of Jesus. We live in his joy and we live in peace with God and peace with fellow man. So we're going to look at our passage in Isaiah 52, and if you'd like to mark uh, Romans 10 as well, we'll be also looking at Romans 10. So Isaiah 52 and Romans 10 this morning. I'd like to go through this passage a little bit. The book of Isaiah is God's announcement to his rebellious people that there is a plan of grace, there is a plan of glory coming, not just for you, but for the entire world. Now, just because God is announcing a plan of grace to the people of Israel doesn't mean the book of Isaiah is a feel-good story or self-empowering story. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are aimed at the judgment of Israel for their disobedience. In chapter one, God gives a pretty detailed list of the transgressions and sins that are being committed by his people. He says, I raised you as children, yet you rebelled. He says, farm animals know who their masters are, but Israel doesn't know their master. He says Israel is laden with iniquity and laden with corruption. And he says that he's tired of all of Israel's vain offerings. We see this list that God is, is pronouncing against Israel and we can look at ourselves and we can say, yep, that's me. God raised me, but I rebelled. Do I know my master? Our country and our, our, our society is laden with iniquity and laden with corruption. How many of us are offering vain offerings? Isaiah chapter one, verses 15 to 20, kind of gives us a good glimpse into how God is feeling at this moment. He says, when you spread out your hands, speaking to Israel, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. But then he pronounces good news. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." There's good news to be found in this passage. Scarlet and crimson were impossible to get out of pure white wool. And the same is true of our sin. Sin has tainted us, sin has scarred us, sin has maimed us. We cannot remove it ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. But just as God promises to clean the scarlet and the crimson and make them white as snow, he promises to cleanse for himself a faithful people. This was the state of Israel during the time of Isaiah. Now the last 27 chapters of Isaiah focus on God's comfort for his people, God's coming savior and God's servant. And that's where Isaiah 52 comes into focus. With pleading shouts Isaiah urges the people of Israel to wake up, dust yourself off, remove the bonds from your neck. Why? Because God is bringing salvation. Isaiah 52:3 it says, for thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, you shall be redeemed without money. This would have undoubtedly caused confusion among the people of Israel. How could we be bought without money? First Peter 1 in the New Testament brings this into clear focus for us. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We were bought. We were ransomed, not with money, but with the blood of Christ. And Isaiah 52, 7 talks about what we're supposed to do with this good news of being ransomed. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, I have a question written down here. How can feet be beautiful, right? You parents probably smell your kids' shoes from time to time after they've been running outside. Feet are not beautiful. These are my old combat boots. I've worn these for thousands of hours. I've worn them in the desert. I've marched thousands of miles with hundreds of pounds of stuff on my back. Anybody wanna come smell these? Right? Probably not. My feet were not beautiful after wearing these boots. But God, through Isaiah, says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The passage is not saying that someone's feet were actually beautiful. Think about the ancient world no regular bathing. This person bringing good news, running over mountains, running long distances. I bet his feet were not beautiful. I bet they quite, uh, they smelled. The feet of the messenger were considered beautiful because of the message that he was bringing. The good news, the publishing of peace, the good news of happiness, the publishing of salvation, the declaration that your God reigns. In verse eight, Isaiah gives us a picture of the watchman of the towers singing with joy because of this great news. The great news that the Lord is returning. The people are encouraged to break into song because God has comforted his people. And then Isaiah points us to the end times when he says, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I wonder what our response to the good news that we know of is. What do we do with what we've been given? Do we shout for joy? Do we break into song? Do we long for the day when the world will see the salvation of our God? Now, in the New Testament, Paul brings this into focus and and actually expands on what Isaiah was talking about. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15, Paul says, "'For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord "'will be saved. "'How then will they call on him "'in whom they have not believed? "'How are they to believe in him "'of whom they have never heard? "'And how are they to hear without someone preaching? "'How are they to preach unless they are sent?' As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is our response to receiving the gospel. We go and we preach. This isn't just in the pulpit. This is you in your lives. This passage sees Paul working from the outcome and backtracking to the beginning. If we follow him from verse 15 back to verse 13, we see God's plan for evangelism. We are sent to preach. And from preaching comes the hearing of the unbeliever. And after hearing comes believing. And after believing comes calling on the name of the Lord for salvation. People will call on Jesus to save them only if they believe he can do so. Belief in Christ cannot exist without knowledge about him. One hears about Christ only when someone proclaims the saving message. The message about Christ will only be proclaimed if someone is sent by God to do so. You are sent. And since salvation comes only from hearing the gospel, the feet of those who bring the message about Christ are beautiful. Paul Kretzmann, who wrote a a Lutheran commentary, he writes this, the feet of the messengers of the gospel are lovely because their coming is delightful, because they are eager to bring the tidings of joy. The content of their proclamation is peace, reconciliation with God through Jesus, good things, the fullness of God's blessings through the work of Jesus." In this way, the declaration of the prophet that Paul quotes is used to prove the necessity of preaching the gospel to all men. And we actually see the simplicity of preaching that Paul marks out in Romans 10. Christ is preached, sinners hear the message of the gospel, they believe it, and so are saved. There's good news in our preaching that it's not up to me to save people. It's not up to you to save people. Our job is to preach the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit of God that saves. But in our preaching, we need to understand that Jesus needs no trimmings. Charles Spurgeon said it best. Christ needs no new inventions to glorify him. Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants none of your inventions or discoveries or additions to his truth. A plain Christ is ever the loveliest Christ. Dress him up and you've deformed him and defamed him. Bring him out just as he is. We are sent by God to preach. I need one kid volunteer and we're gonna do a demonstration. Who thinks they're the fastest kid in here? Come on, yeah, here we go. We're gonna demonstrate preaching the word, okay? All right, I want you to stay down there for me. He made it up here good though, he's an athlete. Okay, stay down there for me. I'm gonna give you 10 seconds, okay? And you are gonna run around the auditorium, up and down the aisles, okay? and touch everyone. This is going to be like you telling people about the name of Jesus, okay? You ready? I'm going to need y'all's help to count down. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. All right, good job. Good job. All right, if, if you were touched, hang on, I got one more for you. I got one more. If you were touched, put your hand up. Okay, now look around. You see how many people are touched, right? All right, now what we're gonna do is we're gonna do God's plan of evangelism. Come back up. I got one more for you. Now you're gonna touch people and then they're gonna touch people to their left and right, okay? And this is how God wants to tell you about the good news, right? And then you tell other people and then they tell other people and then they tell other people. This is gonna be our demonstration. 10 seconds. Now if you're touched this time, touch people to your left and to your right, okay? You ready? Three, two, one, go. 10, nine, Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Good job, good job. Okay, now if you were touched this time, put your hands up. Do you see that? Do you see how many people heard the name of Jesus because you told a couple of people? Do you see God's plan of evangelism? Kids, if you guys are in here, do you see this? You tell one person, they tell one person, they tell one person, and then the word spreads. All right, thank you very much. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. This preaching is a directive given by Jesus to all who consider themselves to be his disciple. We are to go and we are to preach. This isn't just the words of Isaiah. This isn't just Paul saying, hey, this is how Isaiah relates to the New Testament. This is a command given by God incarnate, Jesus Christ. Even before the fulfillment of his earthly mission, people and even angels were proclaiming the good news. We see the shepherds in the field being told by the angel of the Lord that the Savior is to be born in the city of David. And what do the shepherds do? They go to the city of David and they tell people all the good news that they just heard. When the angel of the Lord told the shepherds what was happening, a heavenly host, which is an army of God's angels, surrounded the shepherds and began to sing God's praises, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We see the wise men coming from the East, being familiar with Jewish prophecy, coming to Jerusalem and eventually Bethlehem to pay homage to the true king of the Jews. We see the story of John the Baptist warning everyone to repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. Wherever there are true believers in God, the good news is always proclaimed. We must take God's great message of salvation to others so they can respond to that good news. All of us sitting here this morning can think of at least one person in our lives who we know needs to hear the gospel. I challenge you to tell them. I challenge you to tell them. We see Jesus commanding his disciples in Matthew 28. And this is where we'll close. Um, Rodney, I don't know if you wanna come up. This is where we're gonna close this morning. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. This is after his um, resurrection. He's about to ascend to heaven to the right hand of the Father. And when his disciples saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Commenting on verse 19, Matthew Henry says, Jesus solemnly commissioned the apostles and his ministers to go forth among all nations. The salvation they were to preach is a common salvation. Whoever will, let him come. And take the benefit. All are welcome to Christ Jesus. Christianity is the religion of a sinner who applies for salvation from deserved wrath and from sin. He applies to the mercy of the Father through the atonement of the incarnate Son by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and gives up himself to be the worshiper and servant of God as the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, three in one in all of God's ordinances and all of God's commandments. And this baptism is the outward sign of that inward washing, the sanctification of the spirit, which seals and evidences the believer's justification. Verses 19 and 20 have come to be known as the great commission. We see they're preceded by Jesus's claim of divine authority. I am God, go and preach. And they're followed by a promise that he will be with his messengers to the end of the age. We are his messengers now, he is with us. And when we look at verses 19 and 20, the Greek is very helpful. And I like this type of stuff. The imperative of, of verses 19 and 20 is the command to make disciples, not to go. The word Jesus uses for go is more like the word going. So in essence, Jesus is saying, as you are going, make disciples. This is a very important thing to grasp because the modern missions movement in the West has seemed to elevate foreign mission trips and undervalue local missional movements. Both are great. Both are valuable. Both are necessary. Jesus's commission is clear. As you are living your life, make disciples for him. Teach them what Jesus taught and baptize them into the family of believers. The word Jesus uses for nation is the word ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnicity from. The people we are to go to are all different ethnicities, all different cultural groups that exist in the world. Can this be in Cambodia or China or India? Absolutely. Can this also be in your neighborhood as you welcome someone who just moved from Seattle to be your next door neighbor? Yes, they have a different culture in Seattle. I don't know if you know that than we do here. We are to preach to all ethnicities and all cultures. The United States is, is the largest, or the United States holds the largest um, number of ethnicities within its borders. We are the most diverse country in the entire world. You can preach to the different ethnos here. I'm not saying that foreign missions are bad. I went to Cambodia and I'd love to go back, and Trey has a heart for going and preaching but we need to have foreign missions and local missions. Preach to the cultures, preach to the ethnicities, preach to your friends and your neighbors. We are to preach Christ and him crucified to everyone, everywhere. So what are we supposed to do with what we've been given? What is the mission of the church? As you are going, preach the gospel. We all pray with me and then we'll worship. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that every single one of us are sinners saved by grace. We thank you that that grace didn't end at the cross, that the grace continues as your Holy Spirit sanctifies us and forms us into the image of your son. We thank you for who you are, that you have sent us and that you say, as you are going, I am with you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for every person in here. I just pray that we are, That we're encouraged to preach to our neighbors, to pray for the nations, to pray for our friends, and that you make us brave enough to preach the gospel to those whom it's hardest to preach to. We do this only by the strength of your spirit, and we thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Join us in the new year as we begin our new series in the book of Luke. Have a happy new year. I'm Myrna Brown.